to the Very Well Mind podcast. We've interviewed over 100 authors, experts, entrepreneurs, athletes, musicians, and others to help you learn strategies to care for your mental health. This episode is hosted by psychotherapist and best-selling author Amy Morin. Now let's get into the episode. Today, I'm talking to Nedra Glover-Tawab. Nedra is a licensed therapist and a relationship expert. Her tips on managing relationships have helped her attract a huge following on social media, including more than 800,000 Instagram followers. Nedra's new book, Set Boundaries, Find Peace, is a really good read. And I'm sure all of us can gain something from it. I know that I did. It will really help you take responsibility for your actions and set healthy boundaries so that you can be happier and enjoy better relationships with people around you. During our conversation, Nedra shares why boundaries are an essential component to healthy relationships, how to know when you need better boundaries, how to respond when your boundaries are violated, and much, much more. Make sure to stick around for the therapist's take at the end of the episode. This is the part of the show where I'll give you my take on Nedra's strategies, and I'll explain how you can apply them to your own life. So here's Nedra Glover-Tawab on how setting boundaries can make you mentally strong. Nedra, thank you so much for being on the Very Well Mind podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk about boundaries and whatever else we come up while we're chatting. Absolutely. So I was fortunate enough to get my hands on an advanced copy of your book, Set Boundaries, Find Peace. I'm a therapist. I often work with people on boundary issues, of course, right? This is one of the most common issues that get addressed in therapy. But reading your book, I learned a lot. There are so many good nuggets of information in there and so many wonderful takeaways that uh, I learned a lot. I have no doubt that other people are going to take away lots of great information too. Clearly in our world, we a lot of us struggle with boundaries and certain areas of our lives. And you did a great job of covering what we can do about that. Before we dive in, I'd love if you could just explain how you describe boundaries. How do you define what boundaries are? I define boundaries as expectations, um, verbal statements, behavioral conduct, and expressing what we need and desire from others and what we need to do with ourselves. Because one big thing about boundaries that I was able to address in this book is that a lot of boundaries that we're missing are the boundaries that we need with ourselves around how we um, operate in our relationships with other people and operate in our relationship with, with ourselves. And I love that in the book that you outline that really well. What are the signs that we need better boundaries? How, how do we know when we aren't setting enough? Your feelings is is the number one sign. How are you feeling about something? I think often when we're feeling something, we like to just bypass that. Like, I'm just sad, but it's like, why are you sad? Why are you frustrated? Why are you feeling resentful? Um, There are a lot of feelings and behaviors that happen that could indicate that a boundary is needed. I often say that when you when someone texts you and you um, seem like, oh, my gosh, this person again, that's a clear indicator that 
either you don't want to talk to the person, they call too much, the context of the conversation is often, you know, like something is happening because usually when we're in a great mood, we just see a text and we're like, oh my gosh, it's so-and-so and you answer. But if you're feeling that drain, what is it that's going on that might need to be addressed? So it's really important to consider what could be happening that you may need to address. So thinking about your feelings, thinking about um, being burnt out or overworked is really important. If you feel like you don't have time to take care of yourself, that is a clear indication that you need boundaries. It's so important that you pay attention to what's going on in your world and how you feel about those things. And those are sure signs that boundaries are needed. And we often blame other people, right? This person's so annoying. They text me all the time or my boss makes me work late. Mm. You really talk about how to take back that power and be able to say, well, it's up to me, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, your boss could text at, you know, 11 o'clock if they want to. But if you go to bed at 10, you know, what do you do about that? You turn your ringer off. This person shouldn't be able to wake you up after you've fallen asleep because they have poor boundaries. Or maybe it's not even a boundary issue because you've allowed it. Uh, but letting people know that certain things are just not working for you is a really helpful way to take back your power because there are so many things that we do have power over. Um, but we feel powerless because we're like, this person is calling me, they're texting me, they're asking me to do this. And we haven't said no, we haven't asked them to stop or shift. And those things are really important for owning our boundaries. And why is that so hard to do? Why do we feel so uncomfortable about telling someone that that's, that's not okay? The biggest reason is because we feel like we're being mean. Our biggest fear is being mean, upsetting someone, disappointing someone. And then even when we do it, we we fear the guilt. Like, oh my gosh, like I feel so terrible for telling this person that I won't come help them paint. Um, or I feel so terrible for, for telling my friend that I'm, I, you know, this isn't a good time to talk. But those are things that are routinely told to us. Like we get no's from people all the time, you know, hey, can you help me with so-and-so? No, I'm not available. And and we get over it. We move on. We don't sit with it for two weeks. But in our heads, when we do that to other people, it's going to be a disaster. And that is not always true. That is worst case scenario thinking. And the worst case is not always the truth. Very rarely is it the truth. And that's what I get in my therapy office a lot. People will say, I want to be a nice person. I don't want to look like I'm selfish or this person helped me once, so I have to help them back. And it's more out of mm -hmm. a sense of obligation that, that they feel rather than because they genuinely want to do it. And then they get angry and resentful because they say, I don't have any time. Or sometimes people feel used. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And being nice is not the same as being passive or allowing people to take advantage of you. And I think that's where we confuse nice. Like, I'm just being nice. I just want to say yes to everything. Being nice is, you know, using your manners, saying thank you, saying excuse me, um, using the word please. That's what I think of as being nice. I don't think of 
allowing people to take advantage of you as you are a nice and kind person. Um, that's not that's not the same, but we often think that like, oh my gosh, they're so nice. They'll just say yes to anything. And it's like, no, that's that's not nice, actually. That's very harmful to the person saying yes all the time. So how about we we take this, I'm just being nice out of it and be nice. Maybe you want to throw in please. Um, call me before you stop by, before you set the boundary. That would be nice. Um, But not setting the boundary is not nice. And funny, just that one example of asking people, can you call me before you stop over? For some reason, for a lot of us, that feels uncomfortable, awkward, like we're hurting their feelings, but all we're giving them is what our expectation is. And when you think about it on the flip side, I'd much rather somebody in my life, my friends, my family, tell me what their expectations are rather than causing me to guess or causing me to always question, was that okay that I stopped by unannounced? Mm-hmm. So I think it is a really kind thing to do. And if we can think of it that way, it becomes a little bit less scary to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of personalizing when we hear people say what their boundaries are. We are we're like, oh my gosh, why would they do that to me? Like, you know, I turn, you know, I have a do not disturb one after eight o'clock. That applies to anybody who calls. There is no favorite person out of the anybody. You know, it's like this is this is something for me that helps me to get started with my evening routine and really ease it into the next day. And I think that, you know, people will personalize and say, well, why don't they want to talk to me? Well, it's not you. It's a general rule of thumb. Um, Now, because a person owns their own boundaries, you know, they can change it if they want to, but they really don't have to. And if they don't, um, we cannot force a person into changing their their boundaries. That is violating the boundary, actually trying to get people to change their boundaries so that their life fits what you need. Yeah, that's a great point. Can I run a couple of scenarios by you and you just tell me an example of how you might set a boundary if you encounter these? Yes. Let's say you have a mother-in-law who makes some snarky comments about your parenting in sort of a passive-aggressive way. She says things like, I wouldn't ever let my kids eat that. Mm-hmm. How could you respond to that? Yeah, I think a beautiful way to address address that would be to acknowledge that she had the opportunity to parent her children in whatever way she deemed necessary. And it's now your opportunity to parent your children in the way that you would like. So you've had your chance. You know, your kids were able to eat X, Y and Z. Thumbs up. And this is what my kids can eat. So just letting her know, like, you know, that was good for you, but you are not parenting these children. You had your opportunity 20, 30, 40 years ago. And this is my time now. And I get to determine what my children are allowed to eat, just like your mother-in-law was determined you know, she was able to determine what her kids could eat. Everyone has the right to decide what's best for their children. And she had that right. So then what if you have an in-law then who invites your kids over to their house and they're feeding them stuff that you don't approve of? What would you say or do then? So this is all my always my question for this one. Um, how important is it to you that your kids adhere to a particular diet? And how important is it that you maintain your boundary? So if you are strict about whatever this eating preference or diet is, 
Um, that's where the boundary for yourself comes in. Maybe they can't go to your in-laws because your in-laws will give them whatever you don't like. That is a boundary. Hey, our kids can't come over there because we know when they're there, um, you're feeding them, you know, all sorts of things that we don't want them to eat. So we would prefer if you visit them here. Um, or even talking to them and saying, hey, we'll allow them to come over. But if we find out they had any of the, the foods on the do not eat list, we will not allow them to come back and follow through with that. So there are ways to, um, you know, maybe just cut it off or maybe just say, well, let me give them a chance. And sometimes you can just really communicate your boundary a lot of times what is typically the case, the person has not communicated the boundary at all. And so then we assume because we don't eat a certain way and our in-laws know that, that when we send the kid over, the in-law is just going to right away know, oh, I can't feed the kid this because they don't eat it at home, which they don't. And then they end up feeding your kid and they're like, oh, I didn't know you would want them to eat that. So just being very explicit about your expectation before you send your kids so they'll know like you did something bad. You did something wrong because I set this expectation can be really helpful. That's so important because I think we often think somebody else is a mind reader or because we have certain rules in our house. We expect them to follow the rules at their house. I get tons of in-law questions. Mother-in-law kind of struggles often dealing with a generational issues between parenting things. So thank you for all of that. How about work issues? I was so glad that your book covered work issues because when we talk about boundaries, we often just talk about it in terms of romantic relationships or maybe parents. But you also talk about work. What if your boss assigns you a project and says, I'm just going to add this to your plate? And it's something you don't have time to do. The due date's Friday. It's already Tuesday. And you know you would have to work a lot of extra time. Should you speak up? And if so, what do you say and how do you say it? I think you already said it. Uh, <laughs> I don't have time to do this. It's Tuesday. I have a lot of things on my plate and I won't be able to finish this by Tuesday. We can either reassign this, you can give me some help, or there is someone else who um, needs to be on this project with me. Um, just creating some, some realistic outs, like letting them know I cannot finish this project based on what I have on my plate already. And sometimes it's, you know, a matter of prioritizing. Do you want me to stop doing these other things to do this? Um, but not necessarily taking on now working a 20, you know, 20 additional hours to take on this thing that you didn't have the space for before. So communicating, absolutely, because perhaps your boss is unclear about what you're already doing. A lot of jobs, you know, um, we just do things so routinely that it seems effortless to other people that we have to clarify to other people. Oh, no, 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 no. I know I make this look really easy and simple. However, I have all of these things going on and I won't be able to help you with this or this is not the time for me to take on another project. We do have to communicate that if we want peace in our work environments. Funny that that doesn't even occur to most people that you can say no to your boss or that you can say, I don't have time. It's like we operate under the assumption that our boss knows we're really busy and, and they don't care. But maybe mm -hmm. they will if you speak up or if you say, I can't do this unless I work overtime and maybe work out a deal or at least express yourself. 
Love that. So glad that that's included in your book because especially right now where so many people are working at home, I feel like Mm -hmm. home and work have become blended. People are working long, long hours right now. Uh, So how about the uh, the one about a friend? Let's say you do have a friend who calls you really late at night and you don't want to you feel bad if you don't answer the phone, uh, but at the same time, you don't want to put your phone on do not disturb in case there's an emergency. What do you do? Um, you know, I think that you maybe tell the friend that, you know, I like to have some some quiet time in the evening. So if you call me, let's schedule it. Like I have a friend and we text, um, will you be a late, available later to talk at 8 p.m.? <laughs> you know, because it's like, Sometimes I'm not. And I'll miss the call three days straight because she's calling at 8 p.m. when we could have just sent a text to say, hey, will you be available to talk? That's a really easy way to kind of schedule some time together. It's important to do that because we're at home. But like you said, work is spilling over. You know, household duties are spilling over. So You know, in the evening, it may not always be the best time to talk. So scheduling that time with friends can be really helpful. And also letting them know when you can and can't talk. Like, you know, I don't want to turn my ringer off, but I do want you to know that I try to, you know, maybe watch a show, chill out a little bit in the evening. So I'm not going to always be available to answer my phone. So there are some things that you could say to them. And I think sometimes we have to deal with the discomfort of letting someone go to voicemail. Yes, right. We all often feel obligated to reply to a text message, answer somebody's Mm -hmm. email or answer the phone. What about when you just have that friend maybe who calls because there's always a crisis or they want to complain about stuff and you find it draining, yet if you don't answer, they just start texting. What do you do in a case like that where maybe you don't want to talk to them, but you don't have any particular reason other than to say, I don't really enjoy talking to you? That's a reason. Mm. I don't I don't know if you need to tell that person because that would not necessarily be nice. Um, but that is your internal reason that you don't enjoy the conversations with them. And I think that's reason enough to not want to talk to anyone. Sometimes, you know, um, we don't look at being being busy as, as doing nothing. I think doing nothing is being busy. I don't have any plans this evening, but I may not be on, available to talk on the telephone because, you know, I don't know. Maybe I want to organize the shirts in my closet. Is that doing nothing? No, it's not doing nothing. So I don't, <laughs> you know, I don't have to have like a valid reason to not want to talk on the phone. I don't have to have a valid reason to respond to a text two days later. It's really based on the energy I'm willing to allow other people to take from me. And if you have a friend who is chronically complaining and you know just making things um, a crisis and that sort of thing, one of the things we have to do is help our friends find resources outside of us. Um, Now, as therapists, we know that, you know, I don't want to be my client's only person. So I always say, you know, how can we help you find other healthy people to be in relationship with? You don't want to be anyone's only person, whether you're a therapist, a friend, a sister, whatever. You don't want to be the only one. So how do we help our friends Find a resource that could actually be helpful. Have we told that friend that, you know, I hear you 
really frustrated about the same sort of thing. And I feel really powerless in helping you. And I want to see this situation work out for you. Have you considered talking to a therapist, joining a group? Um, talking to the EAP office at work, like all of these other things that does not involve you. Because sometimes we're like, oh, I'll just listen to her. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to listen. I like that in your book, you talked about our tendency to sometimes just avoid people or ghost them because it's easier than having an upfront conversation. So I really like that idea of just giving somebody other resources. You don't have to necessarily cut them out of your life or ignore them forever, but you might be able to help them out in a way that doesn't involve you. Yeah, I um, I used to be a juvenile probation officer and some of my coworkers would laugh because we were, we had these cell phones and the, the kids, they could call us for crisis and all of these sorts of things. And my kids didn't call me a lot and everybody else on their caseloads, they would be calling them a lot. But my kids didn't call me a lot because I empowered them when we talked about stuff like they would be like, oh, my gosh, I'm late to school. Can you come and take me? No, but what I can do is when you come to the office next week, I'll give you some bus tickets. You know, so so here is a way for you to figure out how to take the bus. If you're having any, an emergency, I am not the first point of contact. Actually, call the police. You know, like I, there are some I don't want to show up to certain things. Um you know, so so really helping people find resources. If you need this, this is where you call. Here is a resource list. If we're going to work together, here is a resource list because these are common things that come up for people who are chronically in crisis. So here is a resource list so you will know where to go. And it's not always to me. Empowering people can be a really effective tool to help them work through those things before they come to you and ask for for assistance. But often we just jump in and we're like, okay, what do I do? And often we're giving advice on topics we don't even really know about. You know, I'm not the best person for tax advice. I'm not the best person for, you know, which couch, you know, like I think go to the store and ask the, the, the furniture person. They can tell you which one is the, you know, most plush and firm. And, you know, so there are certain things that we really put ourselves in a situation like we're the expert on this thing. And it's like, yeah, I, I only know how to, you know, tell you a little bit about my taxes because I don't even do mine myself. You know, so I can only go so far in, in certain topics. I like that. Set some limits on what you're willing to offer advice on and what you're willing to talk about. I think there's a part of us sometimes that likes to feel like we're needed or that when somebody else asks us a question, we think, oh, yeah, I can weigh in on that. Even when we have no business weighing in, (laughs) (laughs) telling somebody, go ask this person or go seek that from somebody else. There's no shame in that. Yeah. You know, if you're if you're struggling with something, sometimes it calls for a professional. I don't if you want to knock down a wall in your house. I think that's a great question for a contractor. I don't know what will happen if you knock. So please don't listen to me. Please don't. (laughs) Absolutely. And another part of your book that I thoroughly enjoyed was when you talk about manipulation and the Mm. tactics that other people use. Sometimes they're sneaky. Sometimes they're outright. Sometimes they're aggressive. How do you deal with people who try to manipulate you into changing your mind when you set a boundary? 
The first thing is to really work on understanding what manipulation is, because the biggest issue is we have no clue we're being manipulated. And that's why it works every time. You know you're being manipulated when you feel an emotional pull on your heartstrings to do something, even though you don't want to do it. Right. So someone is. Yeah. Yeah. When you feel like that emotional pull to do it, but the other part of you is saying, I don't really want to do this. That could be a sign that there is some manipulation in play. This person has used, you know, well, last time I did it for you, or remember that time when I helped you with this, or, you know, it would really upset me if you couldn't come. And, you know, like all of these things that people use, they're saying these things to really get you to, to do this thing that you've already said no to. And so if they understand that you can be manipulated, likely they will continue to manipulate you. They will do it because it works. I have two kids and they do it because it works. You know, if one of them came to the to the door right now and said, cookie, I'd be like, go, go, go get it. You know, right. You you know, I'm busy and I can't, you know, it's, it's one of those things that people do it because it works. Right. So you have to. Stop allowing it to work. You have to recognize it and really stick to the no, really stick to the stop, really stick to um, this isn't going to work for me. So as they are trying to push their agenda forward, you have to make sure that your agenda is at the top of mind for you. Absolutely. And one of the things that really stuck out as well is you talk about the importance of having a consequence for a boundary violation. So you tell somebody, this is my expectation. They don't do it. You don't necessarily need to cut them out of, out of your life, but staying mm-hmm. silent about it allows it to continue. So you recommend sometimes just speaking up and giving them a reminder of this was what I expected and you didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, boundaries without consequences are not really boundaries. They're just, you know, wishes, wishful thinking. And I think sometimes when people violate a boundary, we're like, okay, that's it. I can't set boundaries with them. They won't listen to me. And it's like, well, what did you do when they violated the boundary? If you say to someone, call before you come over and then they come over and you let them in and you have food with them and you watch TV and you like, there's no consequence. It's not like they came over and you made it a little difficult. It was just like, okay, I guess I have no boundary anymore. They're here. Um, proceed with your boundary and say, hey, you know, I I asked you to, you know, give me a call before you come. This isn't a good time for me. Let's set up a time to get together. Oh, oh, you you stopped by. Oh, wow. Uh, You know, I can only chat for about five minutes because I really have something else going on. So what is what do you do when people are not respecting your boundary? Do you continue to let them, you know, have their way? Or do you follow through with your boundary? I like that. So make sure that we do something that makes it abundantly clear that this isn't okay. And if somebody's showing up unannounced and you don't want that to happen, don't let it turn into a reward for them that they randomly showed up at the house, right? Absolutely. So one last question for you. For somebody who's been really passive their entire life and really has said, I've never said no, I don't have any boundaries at the moment, where do they start? What can they begin with to start setting some boundaries for themselves? Yeah, I think start with the thing that annoys you the most. And think of one 
little boundary that you can set and really stick to. So if the boundary is, you know, or if the issue is your parent gives your parent gives you dating advice, right? Um, do you want to set a boundary with them or one with yourself or both? So for example, you could say to them, hey, I'm not comfortable with you giving me dating advice. Please stop. With yourself, the boundary would be stop telling them about your dating life. They have no material then. They can't, you know, and maybe they'll make it up because sometimes parents do because they want you to be coupled or something like that. They'll make it up. But for the most part, if you take what you're saying out the equation, people will, you know, will simmer down sometimes. And if they don't, you need to set a boundary with them. Hey, please don't talk to me about this topic. It's really uncomfortable. Of course, I want to be in a relationship. It's not working for me. And you saying this is, you know, really throwing this in my face or, you know, your advice is not on point when it comes to dating. You know, please, please stop giving me this advice. The the timing of it is not always useful. Say something to them. Um, but make sure you're doing it in this area that annoys you the most. Um, that's one way to do it. The other way to do it, I would suggest, is starting off easy. So start off hard or start off easy. Easy is doing it with the stranger. So if you go to the store and someone forgets to put something in your bag, maybe saying to them, hey, I didn't have this thing in my bag. Starting off easy is really good for people who fear confrontation because starting off easy gets you a lot of courage around actually setting the boundaries because you're likely to do it in situations where it's really not a big deal. If you go to a restaurant, they forget to put mayo on your sandwich and you say, hey, you know, I actually want mayo on here and they do it. It's kind of like, oh, okay, people will listen to me and you just build from there. But if you're not afraid of conflict, I would say start being you know, the, the the issue that troubles you the most, figure out what boundary you need and really execute that boundary with yourself or with the other person or both. Um, but that would be my my two ways to to get started with boundaries. Good stuff. And I like that you said we can set a boundary with ourselves to figure out what am I doing? What am I saying? What else can I change about what behaviors I have and influence yeah. the other people? So that's just a wonderful nugget of information for us to remember. Yeah. Yeah. So often we think that people have, you know, like people are putting things on us. Like they're always giving me advice. They're always, you know, telling me what to do in my marriage. And we leave out the part where we call them and we say, oh my gosh, my partner did this and I can't believe. Well, it's like they're giving you feedback based on what you're saying. Do you want to stop saying this stuff so that they will, you know, limit their ability to even, they wouldn't have anything to give you feedback on. So sometimes it's it's us putting things out there and expecting people to have this response that they're not capable of. So you need the boundary. It's not them. We can't say, hey, I know you like to give advice. Stop doing that. Sometimes it's, you know, us not seeking advice. Wise words. Nedra, I hope everybody goes out and buys your book, Set Boundaries, Find Peace. I'm sure that so many of us can benefit from just learning more about boundaries and figuring out how to set them so that we can find more peace in our lives. Yes. Thank you so much, Amy. 
You're welcome. Thank you for for being on the show. I know that your message is timely and so many people are going to benefit from your book. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. You're welcome. Welcome to The Therapist Take. This is the part of the show where I break down my guest strategies for building mental strength and explain how you can apply them to your own life. Nedra offered tons of wisdom during our conversation. Here are three of my favorite strategies that she discussed. Number one, take ownership. Nedra said that emotions like anger and resentment are probably signs that we need to establish better boundaries. I completely agree. Sometimes it's tempting to blame other people for taking up too much of your time or for making you feel bad about yourself. But the truth is, those feelings are likely signals that you need to set stronger boundaries. It's up to you to decide how you're going to spend your time and how you're going to allow other people to treat you. So when you're tempted to complain to someone else that you don't like the way your sister talks to you or that you're angry that your coworker wastes too much of your time, take responsibility and set a boundary. Number two, offer alternative resources. I love Nedra's suggestion to offer people other resources. If you find yourself Googling the answer to someone's question, you might not be the best person to answer it. Of course, though, it's tempting to be the hero sometimes because we want to help other people. And at other times, it might just seem easier in the moment to answer a question rather than offer a list of alternative people who could help. But giving someone alternatives might be a good investment of your time over the long haul. Whether you suggest someone contact an accountant, a therapist, or even another friend with a similar experience, it's okay to set boundaries on how much time and effort you're going to invest in helping someone directly. And you might find that when you stop being the go-to person for everything, people will learn to look for other resources on their own. And number three, speak up when a boundary is violated. Nedra emphasizes the importance of following through with consequences when a boundary is violated. But she makes it clear that a consequence doesn't mean you have to punish the other person or cut them out of your life. A consequence might be as simple as speaking up and giving them a reminder of your expectations. I really like that Nedra said this because a lot of people are really quick to say if someone violates your boundary, they don't respect you and you need to end your relationship with them. That might be true in some cases, but in other cases, addressing the issue head on by speaking up could be enough to show that person that you're serious. For people who aren't used to being on the receiving end of boundaries, they might test you just to see what happens. A firm reminder might be all it takes to show them that you aren't going to drop the issue. So those are three of Nedra's tips that I highly recommend. Take ownership of your time and how you're going to allow yourself to be treated. Offer alternative resources to people who always seek you out. And speak up when a boundary is violated. Those are just a few of the tips that Nedra shares in her book, Set Boundaries, Find Peace. I highly recommend that you go get the book for yourself to learn more. Thank you for listening to the Very Well Mind podcast. If you found this episode informative, please share the episode with your friends and family and leave a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the Very Well Mind podcast, you can head to verywellmind.com slash podcasts.